Welcome back, Richard. It's good to see you. I, I wasn't sure that we'd I'd get to see you today. <laughs> we were, we've been wondering. <laughs> yeah. I, Inquiring minds want to know exactly what's going on. Yeah. I, um, so for what, two and a half years, we've been dealing with COVID. I've been working in the, I've worked in the schools all those years and never, never had COVID, never had any problems with it. Um, the last day of school was last week. And uh, two days later, I test positive for COVID. There may be a message there, you know? Um, I, I couldn't believe it when you told me that. I thought, Wait a minute. You survived going to three different schools, meetings, kids, change. Every day you were exposed for two and a half, three years. And now at the very end, the very last day, yeah, you test positive for COVID. Yeah, it's... Um, well, what do they say about this variant that it's less virulent but more contagious yeah something and and it's um so i'm i'm getting through it today's i think day four or five um the onset of symptoms so um so that's that's good i guess well we were we were all expecting you in the office last week when you didn't show up i said where's 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 waldo and they said he has covid and i couldn't believe it i could not believe when they told me that yeah. Said, you mean he survived? That's like surviving the wars and then getting in an auto accident. You know, I mean, yeah. just it's crazy. crazy. I, I was convinced there was no way for you to escape contracting this, um, this, this, or this disease with all the exposure you had in the schools for so long. I mean, it wasn't like you were in a single classroom. You were right. moving all over the place. Yeah. So there's no way you could escape it. And yeah. you did until, until the end. I don't know. It's, well, we we feel bad that you got it, but I'm glad it was a, a mild case, I assume. Yeah, it's not too bad. Every once in a while, but uh, I'll still get a little cough. There, there were a couple of days where um, my throat was just really sore. It, it mm-hmm. hurt uh, really badly. But um, but other than that, and the cough, of course, but um, but it's get, I'm getting through it. It's it's better. Um, I didn't have to seek any particular treatment or anything like that. Um, so um, right. All right. getting through it. Good. Um, well, welcome back to the living. I guess you're going to be out of quarantine after in a day or two. Yeah, I get I have another day uh, or so um, and then I'll be uh, I'll be a free a free man again. Well, none of us want to see you anytime soon. Just keep your diseases to yourself. Right. Oh, my gosh. So but, um, y- you know, but it's good to be able to do the podcast. Um and hopefully I won't have any coughing fits uh, mm-hmm. while we're while we're recording. Uh, right. Well, I'll, if you do, d- just give me a hand signal and I'll take over. I'll fill okay. in for you. Yeah. Right. Uh, we're going to kind of extend our uh, conversation today, um, extend our conversation from last week mm-hmm. um, a, a little bit because you, you know last week we talked about uh, my goodness all the the mass shootings that have happened. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're at like 233 or something like that. We are, we are now. Yeah. Because since then there have been a, there have been a, you know, the weekly 10 or the weekly eight, whatever the average is. Um, I think when we talked last week, there had been um, about 200, about 199 in 19 weeks. And now we're up to 233 and counting. And you almost feel like you ought to start this podcast with, you know, something like, and this week's shootings, um, because every week, I think everybody's aware now that every week we're experiencing mass shootings in our country. Right. And, and the, the conversation we had last week was about just the complex problem associated mm-hmm. with, with dealing with mass shootings. And, right. you know, it's not as simple as saying, OK, well, we need to ban guns or we need to um, ban assault rifles or we need right. to. And, and we need to have a conversation because it's a complex problem. We need to have a conversation that, that is equally complex. That includes all of the different moving parts, in, right. including mental illness, including, um, you, know, you know, the Second Amendment and, and other things. We, we need to talk about all of these things um, if we're going to actually find a, uh, a, some type of a solution uh, to this complex problem. Right. Yeah. We've solved and what last week's podcast was about, for those of you who didn't hear it, is that we have solved complex problems in the past. You know, cigarette smoking is an example, integration is an example, automobile safety. These all had the same ingredients as the gun problem. But I think all of us are aware now that there are very um, 
hardened positions when it comes to gun uh, violence in our country. On the one hand, on the one side, you have people who want to ban all weapons. On the other side, you want other people who want everybody to be carrying around an assault rifle to protect ourselves. And so you have these two extremes, but I think we're beginning to realize that the solution lies somewhere in the middle. It's right. just that we can't have a conversation about it yet. Part of the problem, it's an election year. And, and so that's complicating things. But what it, what it led us to is that um, as we begin the summer, we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with increased stress and distress from a number of, um, from an, on a number of fronts. Right. Um, and one of the things we wanted to talk about was it's not, we can't explain gun violence by attributing it to mental illness. And I, I think that that's what we talked about last week is that it's not just mental. You, you, you can't say, well, this person's mentally ill because there are too many people who are mentally ill who are not violent, right? right. So mental illness is not the explanation. But at the same time, we, uh, we have been buffeted by all sorts of stressful and distressing things that seem to be increasing everybody's anxiety or depression or concern, okay? Right. So for example, in addition to the weekly, these weekly shootings, which have everybody on edge, right. um, we have the pandemic hangover. Right, well, there, there's, um, I mean, you could just go down a list of things. There, there's right. pandemic hangover, there's you know all the issues related to inflation and access to goods and, and services. Um, you know, here in, in Florida, we're dealing with the onset of hurricane season, um, other places in the country, they, they're dealing with wildfires and uh, other um, weather and, and climate related issues. Um, let's not forget that there's a war going on um, uh, on the other side, you know, over in, in Russia and Ukraine. Um, so they, there are so many things happening right now that, um, I mean, everybody's stress and, and anxiety and, and right. You know, we're, we're all on edge all the time because right. there's so many things happening. That's right. So we have this long list of, of things that are bothering us. I mean, you can't go anywhere now. You know, go to the grocery store and things are more expensive and gasoline is more expensive. So you're, you're just reminded of it every day and you begin to wonder just what in the world is going on. And it almost brings to mind that um, the St. Augustine prayer and, and help me understand the things I can't do anything about, you know, that sort of stuff. So how do you approach, how do we approach this? How do we, how do we deal with what feels like a constant onslaught of distressing news and distressing events? And so what, what we wanted to look at today was the difference between mental illness, what we would technically refer to as mental illness, versus another aspect, which, it, which we're going to call the human condition. Yeah, and I, I think that this is a really important um, conversation that we're going to have because, um, you know, we are, a, a, as a society right now, I think that we are very prone to pathologize. We're right. very prone to um, experience something and want to give it a name, a, a right. diagnosis, um, because right. that's what we're talking about medical stuff. Um, you know, if, if and, and so we, we go to Dr. Google, we, we do all kinds of different things to, um, to try to identify what is wrong mm -hmm. with us. Right. And, and, and I think that there are times we have to remember that sometimes the distress that we're feeling is perfectly normal. Um, and perfectly appropriate for what's happening. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure you have as well. There are many times that I sit with a patient and I say, I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with feeling that way. Um, right. I, I think if I were you, I would be feeling exactly the same way. Um, I, I don't think that you have depression or anger, anger management problems. I would be angry about that as well. Right. That's right. I would, I would be depressed. If what happened to you, me, just happened to you, I think I would feel exactly the same way. I'm not sure. So we, we venture into this difference between the what is the human condition and what is mental illness. And we do so for two reasons. One is we assume that shooters are mentally ill. 
that's that's a it's it's an assumption and an accusation right and neither may be true you may a shooter may or may not be mentally ill um and but at the same time so we deal with that issue at the same time many of us are wondering if we are mentally ill you know is is there something wrong with me how many times have you been asked bernie how many times you've been asked do you think i have um, autism or i think i have autism people are talking about that all the time i they fear that they have autism. So the questions, the questions we pose are, am I just depressing? You know, is that how I'm dealing with this? Or am I really depressed? Right. Okay. And, and is it who I am? You know, am I just shy by temperament? Right. Or do I have a diagnosis? Right. Do I have Asperger's? Okay. And so we need to, we need to, what we want to do today is we want to try to sort this out. You know, the shooters are not mentally ill. And at the same time, do you have a diagnosis or is this just part of of who you are? Okay. Right. And again, I think that, I think that we have to point out, you know, because there has to be something going on with a person's with a person emotionally and psychologically to to enact a mass shooting right. let's, let's not deny that i mean no question. now whether that's a a diagnosable mental illness mm-hmm. versus someone who's um just using sort of common vernacular words someone who's deranged or right. someone who's uh you know sociopathic mm-hmm. um that, that those are two different things sociopath is not a mental illness Right. Psychopath is not a mental illness. Right. Um, right. Those are not diagnosable conditions. Mm-hmm. They are clinical presentations of people. We right. can see people behave in sociopathic ways mm-hmm. or in deranged ways, but it doesn't mean that they have a mental illness. That's so, right. so let's 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 kind of differentiate those two things. That for mm-hmm. somebody to go into a school and shoot a bunch of people, or into a grocery store and shoot a bunch of people. There is something mentally wrong with that person. Right. But it may not be. But it may not be a mental illness. But it may not be a mental illness. And that, that's, that's a difficult. And some people might say, well, there really isn't any difference. Well, but there really is a difference. Sure. And but I think it's important for us. Right. Because the difference comes with, well, we should have recognized them beforehand. Well, if it's not a mental illness, we wouldn't have recognized it beforehand. If a person doesn't do anything prior to the shooting, right. there's no way to know you have, there's no way to know whether that person is, has a mental illness or not. Right. You know, so, and many of these shooters never did anything. I mean, some of them may have, but the shooter in Las Vegas, right. You know, at the concert, he didn't have any history. Right. So, so yes, when we look back, we could say, well, you know, he had this problem and this problem and this problem. But it didn't raise to the to the point where the person um, required clinical attention. Um, That's right. And right. so, yes, they may have had some of these symptoms beforehand. But if it didn't rise to the level of requiring clinical attention, causing functional impairments, right? Um, then it wasn't a mental illness. And uh, it may be splitting hairs a little bit, but I, I think that that helps us to understand a little bit about why mm-hmm. these people may get to that point right. and we look back and we say, oh, in retrospect, we say, oh my gosh, look at all these red flags. Mm-hmm. They're red flags now because we know the end of the story. Right. They weren't red right. flags before. Um, so we, we kind of need to back off of this idea that, well, the person must be mentally ill if they're doing these behaviors. Right. Um, and, and, and kind of, we need to shift the focus onto something else when we're thinking about those issues. But right. For the purpose of what we're talking about today, I, you know, I, I think I, I agree with you. We we need to look at these questions that we often ask ourselves because people come into the clinic all the time, uh, saying, you know, uh, you know, I have a patient that I've been seeing for years, R- Richard, and almost every other time she comes in, she asks me if she has a different diagnosis. Right, I have the same thing. And it's no, no it's not bipolar. No, oh no, you don't have autism. Right. Uh, no, that's not it either. You know, you don't have schizoaffective disorder. We would know that by now if, if you had that. Um, right. and, and so it's so difficult, though, because people want a diagnosis. They want they, mm-hmm. they see something wrong or they feel something uncomfortable and they want to name it. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And, you know, we, all, we also hear frequently that, well, when I was younger, when I was in school, in the old days, um, we didn't have all this autism and nobody, you know, we didn't talk about ADHD and uh, depression. We didn't have all these things back then. Well, as a matter of fact, we did. Okay. But we didn't attribute them to mental illness. You know, if a kid was in, in the 1960s, if you had, if you were hyperactive, you got into behavioral trouble with your school, you might get paddled, you might get, you know, you might get treated differently, but nobody talked about ADHD, nobody talked about learning disabilities, because we didn't use those labels. And we didn't path off, if you were shy, you were shy. You know, if you were not popular, you were not popular. Nobody looked for a diagnosis. Right. In fact, if, if um, you know, I, I wasn't around during these conversations, but in the in the 60s and 70s, when they were coming up with some of the criteria for um, IDEA and some of the diagnoses we have in, in schools, especially a specific learning disability, they were working really hard to differentiate specific learning disabilities from ADHD. Right. That's right. Because there's a big overlap between the two. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, okay, well, let's keep ADHD a medical thing, a specific learning disability, an educational thing. Right, right. But although it was really, we were looking at the same thing in, in that population. Right? right. And then, so so we have this whole notion that, well, we didn't have all these diet. No, you had all the disorders. You didn't have all the diagnoses. Okay. Um, but the other thing that's going on today is, it may be that our expectations today are unreasonable. We're going to talk about that additionally. So it's not that these diagnoses are, are now only appear. The diagnoses are appearing. The disorders have always been there. Okay. Right. We have, we have stories from hundreds of years ago about uh, youngsters, teenagers who probably had ADHD. What would today we would call ADHD. Um, you know, Billy the Kid, <laughs> Billy the Kid is one of those historical figures. He probably had ADHD. Mm-hmm. I mean, no impulse control. Um, he got angry for some reason and he started acting out. Today, we would, we would probably think of him as having ADHD. But it may, the second thing is, is that it may be that our expectations today are unreasonable. And we're going to talk about that in a second. The reason we think it might be unreasonable is if you look at the data, about 20% mm-hmm. of any group of citizens in most countries, it's generally agreed that about 20% of people at one time or another will have a diagnosable mental illness, okay? What that means is if 20% have a diagnosis, it means 80% don't, Right. okay? So there's an 80% chance that the shooter doesn't have a mental illness. I mean, if you, if you want to look at it that way, okay? And there's an 80% chance that you don't have a diagnosis. You know, you talk about patients who come in and are looking for a diagnosis. There's an overwhelming chance, 80%, that you don't have a diagnosis, okay? So in this 80%, in the, in the large percentage of cases, we're probably talking not about mental illness. We're probably talking about the human condition. Right. Right. And and we're we're differentiating. And again, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, When we're talking about mental illness, we're talking about very specific diagnostic criteria. We're talking about impairments in functioning. We're not just talking about experiencing a symptom. We've all experienced depression before. Um, You know, whether whether it's, you know, you're a kid and, you know, the family pet dies or, um, you know, you, you're not you, you lose um, at, 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 a, at a baseball game or, you, you know, kids get really down if they if they perform poorly in a baseball um, right. game or on the report card or something. Um, we've all experienced those lows. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's yeah. not a mental illness. But exactly. Experience depression. So it's like a lowercase d depression versus right. capital D depression. Those are two right. different things. That's right. So when we talk about the human condition, you know, nobody said life was going to be easy. I mean, life is not easy. I'm sorry. Um, you're not going to feel good every day of your life. It's it just unreasonable to think that you're going to feel tip top 100% every day. Yeah. Also, we have Facebook now. Facebook is not life. 
it's life is life. You know, it's different than life looks different. Life, life is differentiated from what life looks like on Facebook. Right. Work is called work for a reason. You know, people say, I hate to go to work. I hate to go to Monday. Most of us don't look forward to Mondays. Okay. Work is work. It's why they call it work. Um, and you do have to earn it. You have to earn what you're getting. It's not going to be handed to you. Um, I talk to a lot of young people and they think, well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to have to do all that. I should be an executive. I, I'm smart enough. I'm highly educated. I should be a decision maker in this company. And chances are you're going to have to work your way up, whether it's in the military or you're in business or you're in a university. Um, you're going to have to work your way up. And, and that's not easy. And you are going to be judged. Um, the other thing that struck me is that we, a lot of children, a lot of families expect their children to get all A's in school. Right. Should we expect, you know, is that a reasonable expectation? And I, I, I don't think it is. Um, or have perfect attendance. I, I, people get sick, okay? Or to expect that your teenager will somehow not go through the troubles that most teenagers go through. Right. If you are raising a teenager, you're probably going to encounter some resistance. Your teenager is going to experiment th with things that you don't want them to experiment with. And it's unreasonable to expect that you're going to raise a teenager who doesn't go through the normal teenage troubles. So these are all the things that account for the human condition, that, that life is not easy, and you're probably going to encounter some disappointments, some stress, and some distress, okay? Right. So we are, what we're saying here is that maybe we ought to consider a different perspective on mental illness and the human condition. Perhaps we ought to work a little bit more to differentiate these two things. Right. Yeah. So in another, um, I think another uh, way to think about this is you mentioned um, mental illness and you said any population, any group of people, um, you, we had this issue with 20%. That's any country. That's right. Other countries don't have the rate of violence we have here. That's right. They're, they're the same rate of mental illness, but they don't have 233 mass shootings in the first quarter of the year, first half of the year. Okay. So all countries have this but not everybody has 233 mass shootings, okay? And there's another part of this that's a little more technical, but worth mentioning. We have to keep in mind that mental illness is a, is a hypothetical construct, okay? What I mean by that is that a mental illness is not a real entity. It's not like a car. It's not like a table. It's not like um, a, a coffee cup. It's, it's a hypothetical construct. It is, these are labels that we give things that we observe. We observe a certain cluster of behaviors. Take ADHD, for example. We observe a kid who's too active, uh, very impulsive, inattentive. We make those observations. We call it ADHD, okay? But a label doesn't explain why something is happening. She has ADHD is a label, it's a name, but it's not an explanation because it's hypothetical. We don't know, we, we've, nobody has ever seen ADHD. Nobody right. has ever seen, we've seen people who have symptoms, but we've never seen, depression doesn't exist out there on its own. Right, we have created these labels as a way to share information in, a, in an easy right. way. Because if you say that kid has ADHD, I know what you're, I know what you're talking image about. Of what that kid is presenting with. If you say, you know, I'm, I'm man, I'm feeling really depressed today. Mm -hmm. You get, you're creating a mental image of what that person is experiencing. So yeah, they're hypothetical, but they're used to um, ease conversation. That's and right. If you're sitting at a meeting, you, you sat in these meetings for years uh, at IEP meetings and you have, you have uh, a school psychologist, a principal, a teacher, a speech therapist, all these people are sitting there and you all agree that, well, this child has autism. Okay, so all of you have an understanding now. You all have a common language and that will lead to the decisions you're making, okay? But it's just, it's just a label, it's just a name for, for a cluster of symptoms, for a combination of symptoms, okay? And so we have to keep that in mind that if you're dealing with a hypothetical construct like depression, you can't 
use that as a cause for anything. It doesn't, it doesn't cause anything. It's simply a name. It's simply a label. Okay. Right. And that's, the, it's that way for shooters, but it's really that way for all of us that, that those same things apply to all of us. And so we, we found this article, what, what, what spurs this um, conversation today is an article written by a physician by the name of Ralph Lewis called, and, and he titled it, The Urgent Problem with Seeking Psychiatric Diagnoses for Every Problem. And he begins the article with, life can be extremely stressful and complicated. That's what we mean by the human condition. Okay? Right, right. And, and, and it is, um, it, it's a, a, a valuable uh, article because it's talking about these these exact issues that mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we talked before about you know Dr. Google and and everything like that. That right. we as soon as we start to experience something, man, we jump right to we, let's give it a name. Let's 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 call it something. Let's right. and and you know we get people that come into the office now who claim to have really what would would really be debilitating diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've never seen so many people come into an office saying that they have a dissociative identity disorder. That's a, that's a very rare condition. Right. Um, and, and it can be very debilitating um, to individuals with it. Right. Um, but most people who say that they have it don't, um, mm-hmm. they're just misunderstanding because they're, kind of piecing together different ways that they feel and different things that they think. And then they're pathologizing it because they're going to the Google, putting in their symptoms, and this is what's coming out. That's right. Yeah. If you, if you punch in the symptoms, if you put all the symptoms in, this is what we call it. Okay. Okay. So, so number one, there's, there's several problems with, with all these diagnoses. Number one, we've medicalized or pathologized common human problems like self-regulation, like coping with uh, stress. Um, Those aren't necessarily medical problems. Second, we have unrealistically high expectations of what modern medicine can do. There are wonderful drugs out there to deal with serious mental illness, okay? They they stabilize uh, individuals with serious mental illness and they're miraculously effective with things like schizophrenia because if you didn't have the drugs, if you didn't have these mood stabilizers, many of these people would have to be institutionalized and restrained as they were 100 years ago. Now we have drugs that allow these people to live among us, to live safely among us. So the drugs have been fabulous for those reasons, but not for the reasons that many people seek drug interventions. Right. You, you know, a lot of times people look for medication to, to fine tune. Right. Um, so, you know, they, they want to be happy all the time or they want their B student to be an A student or. Right. Right. And, and we, we did a podcast. My goodness. We, I need to go back into the archives and, and find it because we did a, a podcast once where we talked about how so many people today are more willing to take a medication so that they can cope with their unhappy life than they are in making changes to have a happy life, to do things right. with their life. Uh, they're right. more willing to take a medication right. um, than they are to just make some changes in their life. Yeah. When we talk about psychotropic medications, they have been wonderful when we're dealing with severe mental illnesses, okay, like schizophrenia. Um, and uh, uh, um, emotional meltdowns and anger outbursts, okay? Yeah, bipolar They're wonderful for those things. But they're not, these medications are not meant to fine-tune what we're experiencing, to fine-tune. In other words, I want to be happy all, I'm going to feel good every day of my life, so I'm going to take a pill every morning that makes me feel good. I want my B student, there's nothing wrong with being a B student, to be an A student, and if I can give my child a stimulant right. to, to move him into the A range, then I'll give him a stimulant. Okay, that's not what's they're not. That's not what they were meant to do. Or I want a quick solution. I, I'm feeling anxious. I just want it to be over. I I just I do well. That may not. These drugs may not do that for you. Right. That's not what they're meant to do. Or 
I want to take a drug so I can stay in this dysfunctional. I'm in a very unhappy marriage. But if I take a drug that makes me feel better, I can tolerate my unhappy marriage. Or I hate my job and I'm feeling down and depressed all the time because I hate going to work because I hate my job. I hate my colleagues at work. So if I take a drug, I can tolerate my misery. Okay. That's not what psychotropic medications were meant to do. Okay. Right. Yeah, they 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 are meant for true mental illness, which, right. is, which again are impairments in functioning. If if your depression is so bad that you can't go to work, you can't get out of bed and right. go to work, an antidepressant is probably going to help you. That's if, right. If you're if you're feeling depressed because you're not happy in a relationship or you're not happy mm-hmm. with your job, it, it, it probably isn't going to do a whole lot because you're constantly confronted with what it is that is depressing you. That's right. That's right. Um, it's very different. Right. And so having a diagnosis, having a diagnosis like anxiety or depression is very different from just being unhappy or being anxious because there, there, there are many people who just have that basic temperament. We, we all know people who always seem to be upbeat. Okay. So that's their basic temperament. Is there something wrong with that? No. And we also know people who are kind of sad. Who was that Peanuts character? Um, or no, Eeyore. Eeyore. Yeah. Okay, Eeyore. Would you would you put Eeyore on medication? No, Eeyore is sort of just a character. You know, uh, he sort of sees the, the world as, as the glasses as being half empty. So would you rush to a diagnosis? And so I think we need to distinguish between a diagnosis, we keep talking about anxiety and depression because they're the most common uh, diagnoses versus just this kind of, this is who we are. And it makes me think of of William Glasser, uh, a famous psychiatrist who said that we choose to be these things. Um, His position was because Glasser never used medication, though he was a psychiatrist and could use medications, he didn't. And he said, he used diagnostic labels as, as verbs. Let me explain that. He would say to a person, well, you're choosing to depress. You're, you're facing some existential problem, some human condition problem, and you are depressing or you are anxiety. It, it's, how you, it's what you're doing to cope with whatever problem is confronting you. And if you, if you know that, if you confront the problem, you know, it's not that you're depressed. It's not that you're anxious. It is your reaction to some, to, to, to your human condition. Okay. He said, you're depressing. And that's very different from being depressed from having a psychiatric diagnosis. Right. And and, and there are a number of psychiatrists over time who have, sort of confronted the our diagnostic classification system right and and have had problems with it but i think that what what glasser's referring to and you know i don't know that i would ever go as far as saying you, you know you're choosing to mm-hmm. have major depressive disorder i, I don't know right. if I would go that far right. but at the same time with some of these examples that we're talking about mm-hmm. you are choosing to stay in, an, in, in a job where you're really un- unhappy and you're mistreated and, and you're, you're very upset, mm-hmm. you're choosing to stay there. And, and mm-hmm. because you're there, it's causing you to, to feel these ways. And so there is that relationship at times um, it, that's very different than sort of a biologically based depression. Um, but in many, to- ma- many cases, we, we are choosing to be in situations that's causing us some of these symptoms. Yeah, we don't choose mental illness. I mean, nobody's going to choose mental illness, but we choose to stay in situations. And there are many people who stay in dysfunctional relationships, but you can't expect a medication right. to, to make everything better. Right. If, if you're in a dysfunctional relationship, at some point, you're going to have to deal with a dysfunctional relationship. Right. Yeah. If you, if you, um, if you're hammering a nail and you, you, hammer that nail right through your finger <laughs> you can keep taking advil but it but it, the nail is still in your finger and it's still going to hurt right no matter how yeah. much advil you take right exactly and that and it's the same with these okay so what we have to remember is that any mental condition anxiety depression whatever um 
Most of these are at the mild end. We tend to look at these on a spectrum. Uh, okay, so with, I, I think the most common is autism spectrum disorder. Uh, in the new DSM, it was, a, it, was, it was a spectrum disorder. And so you could have everything from very mild autism to very severe autism. And, and I think even with the diagnoses, with most of these conditions, we're at the mild end of the spectrum, 80% of us, okay? Right. It's part of our temperament. It's part of our nature. It's part of who we are. And the other thing we have to remember is that most of these conditions, ADHD, anxiety, depression, can have, can have, can provide advantages. For example, if you're stranded on an island somewhere, I'd like to be stranded with somebody who has ADHD right. because they can stay awake at night and they're very active and energetic and they're constantly solving problems and they think out of the box. So in that case, ADHD provides an advantage. People who are anxious tend to be more empathic. They tend to think about the feelings of others. They're more aware of the feelings, their own feelings and the feelings of others. So in many ways, at the mild end of the spectrum, there could be some advantages to some of these disorders. So we don't want to jump into a diagnosis and say, this has to end and I want to take medication to end it. Right, right. Yeah, we need to, we need to find ways to, to work through some of those things. And, and even the diagnostic system, the DSM has, we are intended to categorize mild, moderate, or severe when we're talking about some of these different conditions. And so it's sort of built in that we think about it in that um, sort of spectrum of severity. Um, So, so, you know, again, while medications can be effective for severe expressions of some of these conditions um, and, and, you know, the medication is, is far superior than like placebo or, or, um, you know, sugar pills and things like that. It doesn't, they're not going to have the same effect on people who are on the the milder end of the spectrum. Um, Certainly not on people who don't really have the diagnostic presentation, but they're just experiencing um, a a depressed reaction to something that's happening in their life. It's just a different biological and biochemical process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you take all the people on the spectrum, say um, depression, Okay. You take from very severe to very mild. The medications are very effective in the severe group. They're less effective, maybe not effective in the mild group. So if you lump all them together, there's a moderate effect. It's, it, it's, it's very, it's very, medications are very effective at the severe end. They're less effective at the mild end. So the average is somewhere between those two things. Okay. Because 80% of us probably don't have a mental illness. Right. It's not, it's, and so therefore the medications aren't going to do much for us because we're in that 80%. Okay? Right. Um, and, you, so, know, well, you know, I was just going to say that, um, you know, one of the things that people often present with when they think about depression is um, motivation. You know, motivation. Okay. And, and there, there is no diagnosis for no motivation, low motivation. I mean, with depression, there is um, something called abolition, um, and it's a low drive, um, right. and uh, and that kind of thing. But um, the if you don't, what I find oftentimes is when I'm talking to somebody who says they have no motivation, I say, well, okay, well, you know, what do you want to do? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, um, what like do you want to go back to school? Do you want to get a new job? I'm not sure what I really want to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can't have motivation if you don't know what you're trying to be motivated to do. So you don't have motivation because you don't have a, you don't have a goal. You don't have anywhere you're headed. Right. That's not a depression. That's, right. that's a absence of a goal. We need to create some goals. We need to see what, what you know, do some, you know, career surveys or some interest inventories or something like that to see where you should be, where you want to be heading in life. That, that's, that's not depression. No, it's not a diagnosis. Low motivation is not a diagnosis. There's no treatment. There's no medication for that. No. And so, but people come in frequently and they're just not motivated. That's not a diagnosis and there's no drug treatment for it. We're not going to get that. So to pull this all together, our rates of mental illness are, are, are the rates of mental illness increasing? No, I don't think 
we're not going from 20% to 30% to 40%. So I don't think the, the rates of mental illness are increasing. What is increasing are the diagnoses. Are we making more diagnoses? Yes, we are. Um, Bernie, what was the latest statistic on ASD, uh, on autism? 60% have autism? Yeah, it's, I think it's one in, one. In, was it one in 54? Right. It's under the age of 18 have diagnosed, can be diagnosed with autism? Yeah, that's not reason. I mean, that's, you can't have that much autism in a population. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Do they have symptoms? Possibly. Uh, you know, a lot of people have symptoms, um, but do you have a diagnosis? I don't think it's anywhere near 60% or 50%. Right. Half of all kids have autism? Not likely. Right. right? So, so the, rate of, the rates of mental illness are not increasing, but the rate at which we diagnose mental illness is increasing. Now, what causes that increase? Well, there's probably a number of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them are good reasons. Right. Um, you know, for years, we've been talking about, um, we've been increasing mental health education and right. trying to destigmatize de- um, mental health uh, related right. issues and mental illness. And so, so you know, that would be a, a great reason why we're seeing some of the increases in diagnosis because people are more willing to seek treatment. Yeah, they're not, they're not afraid. They're not embarrassed. You know, some people continue to be embarrassed. They don't want, but many of us are saying, okay, this is what I have. And it's been destigmatized. So now they're, they're saying, okay, this is what I have. Uh, it's not an embarrassment. Right. But, but the, on the other side, you know, there, there's problematic reasons. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of it is, is self-diagnosing. Right. When people perceive themselves as having a mental health problem. Right. They need psychiatric treatment. You know, Richard, we've had people come in and and we think, um, you know, they're going down their symptom list and we think, man, that sounds familiar. And you pull up a website and they're just listing. They, they've sort of memorized the, the diagnostic criteria and they're just going down the list and they're using words. And, and I said, well, can you tell me what that word means? Um, well, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I'm just not happy, you know? Okay. But tell me what you're using these words. Tell me what these words mean. And, and clearly they've, they're, they're looking for support. They're looking for assistance. And I'm not saying that they're being malicious in what they're doing, but right. they're looking for some assistance. And so they're, they're pulling this information together to mm-hmm. support their, their perspective that they have these, these health related issues. Right. Um, it's frequent. Frequently, we see this in younger patients, uh, teenagers and uh, people in their 20s and 30s, because they have access. Uh, Take high school students. They talk about this all the time. You know, they're always educating each other about this. And they're telling each other, well, hey, look up, look up DID, you know, look up dissociative disorder, because I think that's what we have. And so they're constantly talking about this. I'm always um, troubled when when a, a youngster comes in and says, well, I really don't enjoy things I used to enjoy. <laughs> that is a classic symptom of depression listed in all the things. And I'm thinking, okay, you read that somewhere. Um, I mean, you're only 14 years old. How do you right. not enjoy things you used to enjoy? You know that. Right. You know. But, but, games, but right, exactly. Right. So people's, and, and so another, re- so the first reason is we're, we're, we self-diagnose. Second, we think we need to have psychiatric treatment, you know, that I'm so problematic, my troubles are so big, they're so, um, there's such a problem for me that I need to have psychiatric treatment, that somehow is going to make me better if I get psychiatric treatment. And chances are, it's not going to, because chances are, there's an 80% chance that you don't have a mental illness. Or or someone else is telling them, man, you have problems, you need to get some some help. And and there is a lower threshold for getting help. I mean, there is more access to mental health treatment now Mm -hmm. than there than there used to be. Um, Which is which is which is, again, a good thing. Um, but it but it sort of aids some of these other issues. Right. And and another problem in teenagers, especially in teenagers, is that they, because they're struggling, you know, we, we all know about existential angst that, that teenagers have, the whole teenage condition, and they're struggling with these issues to begin with. And now that they they get a diagnosis and they they they're seeking a diagnosis to explain the feelings that they have. It, it, it's almost desirable 
to have a diet. Oh, well, I have ADHD or I have, I have dissociative disorder. And that, no, you're a teenager. That right. is when more you feel the way you do. Well, and, and those diagnoses, especially when they come from a professional provide validation, um, Absolutely. testifies and, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it, it, serves as an excuse for people Mm -hmm. to, well, I can't help it. I, you know, I have ADHD or I can't help it. I have this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. But, um, you know, but Mm -hmm. it does become part of their identity and part of who they see themselves as and and how they present themselves to other people. Um, and, and I think that a lot of it is, um, you know, we think about social media and we think about how they're presenting themselves to the world. But, but I think that a lot of times, especially teenagers and, and young adults, they see some of these things as temporary. Um, well, this is who I am right now. And mm-hmm. then they think, I, I sort of think that there's this idea that, well, you know, I can, that, that's not me anymore. Now I'm this, oh, well, I'm not that anymore. Now I'm this. Um, and as part of that, trying on different identities that we know that we all do um, or did as we're going through our um, identity development, but, but mental illness doesn't do that. Mental illness doesn't just go away. Mm -hmm. Um, Autism doesn't go away. Right. Don't do chelation treatment. And all of a sudden your autism is gone. You know, you probably had a heavy metal poisoning. um, Mm -hmm. And that's why you were, why the kid was behaving that way. It wasn't autism. Um, but we're looking for those diagnoses because it gives us that validation. It justifies some of the things that we're seeing and some of the things we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes part of that identity that we're presenting to others. That's right. And then we can't forget that sometimes there are some practical benefits to having a diagnosis. And I'm thinking here about extra time on um, tests on like the SAT or the ACT. Or you can't get ABA therapy unless you have a diagnosis of of autism spectrum disorder. So it's not, you know, some of these services, some of these accommodations must be linked to a diagnosis. And so there's this search, this quest to get a diagnosis to give you some advantage, either an intervention or, or an accommodation. Okay. And we can't affect, we can't underestimate the effect of social media because if you get a celebrity who suddenly comes out and says, well, the reason I act the way I do is because I have bipolar disorder or I have borderline or I have ADHD. And for youngsters, especially for teenagers, if you identify with that person, uh, or if you say, oh, well, I have this, in many cases, it's a, it's a search for attention or sympathy um, from other people that, well, you know, you feel sorry for me because I have a condition. Right. And you may or may not chance, again, there's an 80% chance that you don't have that condition. Okay. Right. And so, so as we, as we think about, you know, some of these problems associated with overdiagnosing and, and over-identifying mm-hmm. some of these, and, and right. more importantly, over treating some of these conditions or presentations medically, um, mm-hmm. we get into problems with over-prescribing and right. you know, there are far too many people on antidepressants. And then all of a sudden now we're getting reports to say, well, antidepressants aren't effective. Well, how many of those people taking antidepressants aren't really depressed? Exactly. You know, how many of the people taking uh, benzodiazepines for Mm -hmm. for anxiety are really taking the medications the way that the medications were intended to be be taken? Because, um, you know, my goodness, uh, at least it it was in the the past, you know, Xanax was given out for people with, you know, bruxism for for grinding their teeth at night. Um, Well, Xanax... Xanax is a highly addictive medication. Right. It should only be used for a short period of time. Short time right? We're over prescribing and we're giving it for conditions that it's not intended for it to be given for. You know, we, we get into issues and problems there. Right. And it's not just the professionals who are overdiagnosing. I mean, it's all of us, all of us are caught in this. And we, we say we always hear this sort of big pharma, big pharma. Okay, the drug companies are contributing to the problem. Okay. They are not the problem. Okay, it's part of a comp. It's another one of those complex issues. So, so yes, when you overdiagnose, there is a tendency to overprescribe. So there are many people who are seeking drug treatment when they really don't need it. Okay. The other problem with overdiagnosing is that it trivializes mental illness. 
there are serious mental illnesses. There are people who are really families that are being torn apart right. by mental illness, the years and years of distress and sadness and depression related to um, mental illness. There's, a, there's an article posted recently about a young girl, young teenager. Uh, she's about 14 or 15, 16, something like that. And she has severe autism spectrum disorder. And there's no place, there's no place she has to stay home. And her parents have to do their best to deal with her because there's no place for her. We don't have services. This is a this is a sadness because she has a severe mental illness that can't be completely controlled with medication. And her parents are forced to do their best. So we don't want to trivialize mental illness because there are people who do need help, who do need medications and who will benefit. But if everybody has something, you know, we have to say everybody has something. Well, then nobody has a problem. Okay. So we don't, we don't want to trivialize her autism by, by people who are completely neurotypical saying, I think I have autism. No, you probably don't. Look at this. Do you have, do you have what this girl has? No, you don't. Okay. So we shouldn't trivialize mental illness. Yeah. And I, I think that we have to, as a society, as a group of people, we, we have to come to the um, understanding and appreciation that we can't fix all of our stress. We, right. we can't, we can't live lives completely free of distress. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's yeah. not the way that life works, especially life. It, it, life with other people, with other beings, um, you know, even if you lived alone, you're still going to experience stress when you're trying to attend your garden. That's right. And it is stress and distress and sadness and disappointment. It's a part of the, it's a part of being alive. I mean, what two-year-old doesn't experience stress? What five or what kindergarten kid, what middle school, what athlete, what high school, what teenager, we all experience these things. It's part of the human condition. They, they are not mental illnesses. Okay. They are part of the human condition. Absolutely. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Well, I think that's it for today. Um, I'm going to get through this, Richard. I only had one coughing fit through the whole thing. So I noticed you did really well. So you hit that mute button. (laughs) Yes. Good. You're on top of things. Yep. No, it's good to see you up and around again. Uh, it'll it it'll be good to get you back in the office and start mingling with the uh, humans. Yes, I'm looking forward and to it. Look so. forward to seeing you again. Okay. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>